So many stores and restaurants are closed or running on a skeleton staff. How do landlords handle that? This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup or a small business looking for an edge. Hear about strategies that work and strategies that don't work from experts who've been there and done that. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Gregory Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we talk with a DC landlord about how they can help tenants who are strapped by COVID-19. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. You can't pay your employees and you can't pay your rent. What is your landlord going to do about it? We're on location with Michael Goldman, the president of MGA Incorporated, sitting literally three blocks from the White House using social distancing on location. And welcome to the Language of Business. Thanks for having me, Greg. You are a tenant-oriented real estate brokerage. What are you telling your tenants right now to do with their landlords? It's an unbelievably tough time because for the first time ever, the tenants can't get access to their space, right? They are not using the space. So I think the first thing is one, let's review the lease, let's get counsel on board, and then let's also just have a conversation with the landlords. We need to pay rent. Most of these leases are not taking away the burden of paying rent from the tenant's perspective. And so we need to one, pay rent, and then two, initiate and engage in a conversation with the landlords. Does either a tenant's insurance policy or a landlord's insurance policy provide some buffer right now? I think going into this, that was the hope. I think what folks have found, and it's been difficult to find this out, is that from the business interruption side of things, from the clauses such as a force majeure clause in the lease, these leases really have not taken away that tenant's burden of paying rent. And the, the, the problem that most of these tenants are seeing is that they can't run their business normally. I think when you're engaging in those conversations with landlords, landlords Landlords want to do right by the tenants. I don't think it's landlord against tenant or tenant against landlord type of environment. And so when we engage in those conversations, I think landlords are doing what they can to to work with their tenant. But what would you counsel your own customers if their landlord tells them, hey, I still need to pay real estate taxes. I need to pay my mortgage. I still need to maintain the property. And unless you pay rent, everyone's going to go out of business. And that's what they're saying, right? They're saying that the banks aren't putting a halt on their payments from the ownership groups. And so I think what we're finding is some of these landlords are saying, listen, I will give a rent holiday. I will cut rent in half for a period of time, maybe extend the lease, do something along those lines. I think the best thing and the good landlords, which most of them are uh, in these major markets, they want their tenants in business. If they don't want to come back from this work from home period of time and have doors boarded up or, or offices not occupied. And so I think that, again, what I would tell them is what, engage in a, in a discussion. Be transparent with your landlord. This is not the time to hide information. It's the time to share information and have a, have a working conversation. And we're a part of those discussions. Does your advice differ if your clients are national tenants versus local? I don't think so. I think that at the end of the day, transparency is transparency and honesty is honesty. And because the tenant may be national or local, but the landlord may not be. And so you may be dealing with a mom and pop landlord or an international REIT. And I think the one thing we've seen is a willingness, irrespective of who the landlord is, to conduct business the right way. Everyone is suffering. 
And I, I think that a sharing in that suffering has been something that we've seen. That's for office tenants, for retail tenants, for any type of occupier. So by sharing, does that mean that the tenant and the landlord should share some of that pain together? Or is it really just a timing issue that the landlord's always going to come out on top? I think it's it's an interesting question. I don't think it's a who's on top and who's on the bottom. I think that a tenant's perspective is they're paying for space. They're using the space to run their business. The problem right now is they're not using the space. So the idea of continuing to pay for it while it's not being used is a philosophical issue. And then it's also a financial issue. If we can absolve the financial issue temporarily, just put a halt on it and say, okay, over time, we can make that up. I think that's one way to solve the problem. I also think that it depends on where a tenant may be in their lease. If a tenant's lease is expiring in a year or in two years, and a a landlord may see this as opportunistic. They might say, okay, if I can help bridge that gap for the tenant now, maybe they won't leave me in a year or two. And so I think that's something to keep in mind is it doesn't need to be landlord on top, tenant on top. It can be a win-win. What do you tell a tenant who can physically go to their space, the landlord's still providing them access, but they're scared because they want to self-quarantine? Does that change your counsel at all? I don't think so. I think that, that we are in an unprecedented time. And I think that I have the burden, but also the privilege of running our, our company. I mean, our company is structured to provide guidance to folks and we can't go to the office, but it doesn't change the message that I give to our employees, which is wake up every day and grind and figure out how to service your clients at the highest level possible. And so I think that tenants are not going to go to their spaces right now. They're just not going to, whether they've been deemed essential or non-essential businesses, there's a fear. There's an HR issue. There's a, there are liability issues that executives running these organizations need to take into account. You're in the D.C. metro area, as you said earlier, three blocks from the White House. Any regional differences that you're seeing between cities? I think it's a really good question. I think it's important to look backwards. And so if you think about our market compared to other major markets around the country, and you look in the most difficult times, so take the 08, you know, the Great Recession, when we came out of that, Washington was outperforming other major markets. And I think that's a, in large part due to our client base, our tenant base, the nonprofit, the trade association world that stabilizes our market in comparison to a tech hub or something along those lines. So I think that our market historically has outperformed other major markets in downtimes. It's a much more stable, stable market. And landlords know that. And so that's another reason why I think landlords are willing to say, I know this group is going to be around three years, five years, seven years from now. When do you think it's going to get better for everybody? Man, now that is the the question, the crystal ball. I think that the most important thing is obviously everyone's health and well-being. I think people want to get back to work. I think there was a sense of panic amongst the executives that I spoke to maybe four weeks ago. What is this going to be? How are we going to adapt? And all of a sudden, people have embraced it. I think that organizations have been unbelievably strong. Our team has been unbelievably strong, embracing the adversity and finding ways to push through. But I think now all of a sudden, and maybe it's just how many more of those lunches can I eat at my own dining room table, people want to get back to work. You know, in DC, uh, our mayor just extended until May 15th was what was just extended. I think there are companies that I've talked to as recently as this morning that are thinking of how can we be back in the office in some way, shape, or form by the end of May. But I also think that 
there's a lot to be said for getting things done right now when we're not in the office. I think that's been an amazing skill that people have had. Michael, are most of your employees employees or are they independent contractors? Yeah, it's a good question. We actually have a mixture of both, both 1099 independent contractor brokers and then also W-2 employees. Everyone is full-time though at our company. We've gone through the PPP program. We have our SBA number. We are waiting for the funding, but not counting on it. We've built a company very different than our competitors. And so I think what we rely on is each other more than any type of financial backing from the government. What, what I rely on, and I take a lot of pride in this, is my job every day throughout this has been to wake up and not only work with my clients, but also work with our brokers within our firm and make sure that they're operating at max productivity during this period of time. What is the single biggest thing, Michael, that keeps you up at night about the future of MGA? Excitement. It's hard to go to bed when you're excited. You know, our company was born because of a dissatisfaction with the structure of most commercial real estate brokerage firms. I do think that right now, what I'm most excited about is how we come out of this. The excitement for where we are when we come out of this as a company, I believe we're the most well-positioned firm in the marketplace. I'm confident in that because of our team. So I'm proud to lead us. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Really appreciate it. Michael Goldman, the president of MGA Incorporated, three blocks from the White House. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. And that's our latest podcast. If you want to take the next step in your career, despite social distancing requirements, Boston University has an option for you. The Questrom Online MBA. It's a top 50 program for a very affordable $24,000. And you can complete your online MBA in as little as two years. As an online MBA student, you'll be part of a truly global learning community with your fellow online MBA students all around the world. You'll join a network that includes outstanding faculty and staff in Boston and over 51,000 Questrom alumni and 335,000 BU alumni around the world. Interested? Get full details at bu.edu slash Questrom. The Language of Business is available wherever you get podcasts. We have downloads in 62 countries that we're aware of and 10 more that are marked as unknown. We really appreciate the support. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and you'll automatically receive new episodes. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, thanks for listening to The Language of Business.